Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Victoria LeBalm. Victoria is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Risk Forward, which has beaten out a whole bunch of other books in other categories. It's very impressive. You've got to check it out. Um, the book is Risk Forward, and she's also the founder of Rock the Room. Victoria helps people dramatically elevate their ability to communicate effectively by uncovering their hidden gifts and expressing them in a memorable way. She has over 20 years in the performing arts industry, from Broadway to comedy clubs to landmark films to Super Bowl spot, plus high-profile uh, TV from HBO to ABC. She's also the trusted confidant and consultant to CEOs and top teams at companies such as Starbucks, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, and PayPal. Her unconditional, or excuse me, unconventional approach offers a surprising blend of business and art. So Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Brian. So in one of your TED Talks, one of the things I really, really liked is you talk about the advantages of not planning every stop A to Z. Like as you're saying, I want to go here, or I'm not quite sure where I want to go. Um, I kind of like the idea of nonlinear thinking because we have so much like goal setting, like, hey, here's you do this, 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 and you'll yeah. get to, to here. Um, what, what do you think are the benefits to this kind of like nonlinear thinking? Great question. Well, I come from a background in the arts, as you noted, and part of the path of the artist is to go into the unknown. And part of going into the unknown, of course, is there's no path that's been done before. I think as leaders and teams, we tend to you know, minimize people's abilities by giving them the exact goal to go for. Now there's value to that, but when you give them what I call as a through line and direction, it's extraordinary what they will come up with on their own, of course, within parameters. But that ability to go into nonlinear thinking stimulates all parts of our brain. Neuroscience will tell you this as well as the arts. So it's really a matter of trusting one idea. As I say, trust the idea that can lead to the idea and following where that takes you. When does somebody who's not used to that, when do they know they've got that idea that leads to the idea? Uh, when they're excited, <laughs> when they feel jazzed up, when they're electrified, there are all these physical symptoms of excitement that show up in the body. You know, you're, you're, you're riveted, uh, you've got energy. It's like kids, you know, you think of how kids come in the room, they're like, mom, dad, and they're so jacked up. And I think sometimes we don't pay enough attention to that natural, you know, divining rod, if you will, within us that says, this is the right way. When did that kind of hit you like that this would work in business? Like, I know you come from, from that. And, and the thing is that arts is also a business. Like a lot of people don't understand how much of a business it is and how much of a process it is. But when did you understand that this could apply to say the corporate world? Yeah, well, when I first started in the speaking industry, which was back in 2005, um, I had been hired to come and speak to a group of sales professionals. And I really was beta testing some of my content. In the beginning, I just said, here, in the performing arts, we do it this way. And in communication, you do it this way. And they started taking notes. And I knew right away that I was onto something because I kept thinking, what do I know from the arts? and my background in acting and directing and producing and writing that relates to communications and expression. So it was really early on and I saw the value and oddly it was the things that were most different and distinct that they were riveted by. But as you noted, I mean, business is an art. And if you think about a meeting, 
you know, could be on the phone, on camera, or could be live in a conference room or in a big event hall. It's like a scene. And so all the skills that apply to a scene in a movie or a theater apply to our communications. I know a lot of uh, executives who don't have a background in even like high schoolers may not have that background in performance or entertaining. So let's say you're talking to a sales group and you want to set them up to be successful. What are those things that cross over? I know you've mentioned them a little bit, but let's say, hey, sales group, I want you to go out tomorrow and do A, B and C to um, to be better at what you do, taking these things from the performing arts. What what advice would you give them? So I'll give you a couple examples. One is one of the strategies in theater and film that we talk about when we're directing or performing is to be clear on your intention. So for example, and I say this in my keynotes and my workshops, and we do much, much more of a deep dive than I can do here, but you'll get the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll say, if my intention, Brian, right now is to threaten you and my line, just the, let's say the line in the, in the script, so to speak, or the line that I'm saying is, are you going to be the one? I might say, are you going to be the one? <laughs> but if I have the same line and my intention is to encourage you, I might say, hey, are you going to be the one? Are you going to be the one, Brian? Are you going to go for it? So simply by clarifying your intention, if you think of it like your verb, mm -hmm. whether your verb or your intention is to threaten or if it's to encourage, it changes your physiology, your, your tone of voice, the way you use your hands, gestures, it, sh it shows so much. And so you'll often have leaders and managers and sales say, okay, I want you to really be warm and friendly. And, but if you think, well, what's my intention? It's to collaborate. All the warm and the friendliness will come out. If my intention is to partner with you, if my intention is to educate you. So I always say to my sales clients or leaders or managers, anyone delivering a communication, what is the intention? And you might have a few of those verbs, if you will. So that clarity around intention completely affects behavior. That's my core line. Intention affects behavior. Another core that I teach uh, that comes from the arts as well and shows up in speaking, it shows up in meetings, is what I call first and final. Uh, there's no performing art, whether it's a symphony or a play or a rock concert that begins and ends randomly. And yet most calls and meetings begin and end randomly. And what you really want to be is clear and riveting in your first and your final. And you want to set the tone. So, for example, if you're in sales or if you're in uh, consultative, we could be legal or uh, finance, and you're meeting a client, what is the first moment? So as an example I give, I had a lawyer once years ago who met me in the elevator bank. Like he didn't wait back in his tiny office or his big office while the assistant waited, had me wait in the lobby or the reception area. No, like he waited for me in the elevator bank. So the doors opened on the 18th floor of this fancy Park Avenue building. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to find my way and go through the glass doors and feel like a little minion and wait in my little chair to be called on. And he was there in the hallway with his arms open. And he said, welcome, Victoria. And I thought, who does that? <laughs> But I'm talking about it now because it made such an impression. So what is the first moment and what's the final moment? And most people's final moment is logistics. Like, you know, if it's a big event, they'll, you know, meeting planners will have someone come up and say, okay, catch the buses and, and we'll see you in five minutes in the hallway. Or they'll say, great, we're going to get on Zoom tomorrow at three. Instead of saying some final phrase, story, image, analogy, video that inspires your audience. So in a sales call or in a meeting, it might be, you know, uh, all right, we'll talk to you Tuesday, which would be a terrible final moment instead of <laughs> I've got your back.
I'm on your team, we'll figure it out. Those types of final moments, they help promote and cement the through line, that intention of what it is you want that person to feel when they leave. I love that because, I mean, that just makes me think of like with movies. I just saw a movie where the movie was okay, but the ending was great. And you walk out of there and you're like, that was a pretty good, like you're going through the whole time. This movie is a four. And then it ends like, yeah, this is a seven, you know? And right. I, I love that. And of course, obviously your meetings are going to be nines and tens the whole way through. But, uh, you know, just having that great uh, close, I really like right. that idea, whether it's a call or an event or whatever it might be. Yeah, I just participated in an online event this week that was organized by an or a company, I won't say who, but, you know, they brought in leaders from around the world and we got on and the first 10 minutes were logistics, like not even a welcome, not even something inspiring, acknowledging these people. It was just great. So we just want to let you know we've updated the website. I thought, oh, no, 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 that's <laughs> not a good first moment. <laughs> Uh, that is good too, especially as we move into like have so much uh, of an online world more so in the past 18 months than before. So having that like intentionally planning that for your meeting, I know that event planners watching this and listening to this will really appreciate that idea. Just cementing that from someone like yourself, who's got that big background in right. the entertainment world that, that this is a form of entertainment as well, obviously is being informative, but, but really hitting that opener and closer. Absolutely. And that's the core of my promise is taking the performing arts and applying them for business performance. So uh, I know we mentioned in the intro, uh, your book uh, and talk and everything else, but risk forward. So can you give this that sort of a snapshot of that? And so what it is and why it's why it's so meaningful? Sure. So risk forward is a core to my work. And it was really inspired by the great French mime, Marcel Marceau. And he had this wonderful movement when we were studying with him. And by the way, people always joke, oh, so you are a speaker, but you studied mine. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, yes. In fact, Marceau was brilliant. He was a philosopher. He was wise. He knew incredible amounts about history. And everything he taught us really had application to life and work. And so risk forward is a term that I coined based on his phrase, risk. Avant. He would always say, risque avant, Brian, risque avant. And it was a type of movement where you had your weight forward on one foot, left or right, but your weight was forward, your heart was open. And you might even feel a little off balance because you were so forward. And I came to think of that as a philosophy for life, like, mm. and for work. How can we encourage ourselves, our team members, our customers, our clients to risk forward, to go forward hard open? And how do we create the culture and environment for them to feel safe enough to do that? And I like the heart open. Could you explain that a little bit more of, of what that means to you and how you can apply that? Yeah, well, especially now we are in an era of authenticity. People can smell, as I always say, they can smell a phony speaker a convention room away. They can smell phoniness in leadership. Uh, in, in any kind of sales environment or team environment. And what that means is it's like, sometimes you'll hear a leader say, you know, we're, we're gonna make it, we're gonna go for it, we're gonna, you know, beat out the competition. But what they don't acknowledge is, when's it gonna be hard? Mm -hmm. Because then when their teams hit a tough patch, they think we must be off instead of the, the, the leader being honest, like saying, uh, there are three different things that could happen ahead. We don't know given the state of the world. It could be X, Y, or Z. And we're going to prepare for all three. So here's what it could look like. And that is a realistic, honest, authentic, heart open 
approach because it's not saying we're going to always make it because we might not. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's it's empowering to the team for someone to be honest to, to to tell the truth. I've seen that kind of hard open. I coach a lot of people on their presentation skills, so that's the brand rock the room. And when someone is open and transparent from their heart in an example or a story or a situation, it brings the audience closer. So I'll give you a quick example. So one of my clients is an executive at Microsoft Mm -hmm. and we were getting on video like this to meet and talk about his upcoming big event, speaking to 8,000 people. And, you know, this is, this is the level at that type of organization. And he'd just been in Machu Picchu with his daughter. And he was complaining about how his daughter was complaining about the fact that she couldn't get cell service in Machu Picchu. (laughs) She's 16, right? Yeah. And he's like, here we are in this historic place and my daughter is trying to get cell phone. Does she realize how far we've come? And, And then he apologizes and he says, I'm sorry, sorry, let's get to the coaching session. And I said, no, no, that is a beautiful story to open your keynote with. It, it shows your travel, it shows your family, it shows this great analogy of how far we've come in technology. And it was, it was, it was hard open because you know, he didn't really want to admit that his daughter was complaining, he didn't really want to talk about his travels, but it was that sense of, this is where we are. It was filled with humor and compassion, and it was a brilliant way to connect with the audience. So that's just one example in a presentation environment. The other was I gave you in a leadership environment. Uh, but also just truly in a sales environment. Um, like sometimes I, I think it's incredibly valuable to say, here's what the product doesn't do, or here's what the service doesn't do. And it's, it's that kind of back selling, like, look, if you're looking for X, Y, Z, it's not what we do. And nine times out of 10, the, the person will say, oh, I don't want that. One of the things I'm, I'm curious about is, uh, you know, you're advising people to do this. Where's a time where you um, you know, whether it's from Marcel Mousseau or someone else, where did you uh, risk forward? Where did you kind of put that out in your own career? In my own career? With this book. <laughs> um, I mean that, like writing risk forward was a gigantic risk forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of books I could have written. Hey House, my publisher came to me. They said, we'd love to do your book. I said, I have three. I have the through line, I have rock the room, and I have risk forward. And I had the outlines for each. And uh, they said, well, which do you want to do? And I said, I'm excited to do risk forward. This was before the pandemic, by the way, Mm -hmm. because I signed the contract in 2019. And the book is all about embracing the unknown and uncertainty, right? So it was pretty ahead of its time without even realizing it. But it was scary for me Mm -hmm. because I wrote this book not to try to back end business in. And, you know, a lot of speakers and authors, they write the book to try to bring in business. I said, I want to write this book because this is the book if I got hit by a bus. I'd want to leave behind. Mm-hmm. And it was a gigantic risk forward. Um, but who would have thought it's brought in business, but that's not why I wrote it. I wrote it because I felt it was important to say, and I took this huge risk in the layout. You've seen inside, I'm going to show it to the camera for anyone who sees it's a video clip. If you do a video excerpt, it's colorful. Every page is different. I drew my little designed characters, these pen and ink characters throughout. It's not a typical book. And that was a risk forward in and of itself. Even the start is not the table of contents. It's the circle of contents, which. Yeah, I, there you go. Yeah. And what's your, what's kind of, I know you've got the, I'm trying to remember if it's six, seven, eight uh, points around there. Uh, which is your favorite part or which part do you think resonates most with people? Oh, that's really good. And you've um, got the book right there. So if you need to cheat, even though you wrote well, it. 
I'll tell you that this goes back to something we talked about earlier. And there's a section in the book called the Crimson Star. And it's in a section called Head into the Unknown. And the idea of the Crimson Star has just taken hold. People often bring it up when I get interviewed or they read the book. And the idea behind the Crimson Star is that often we are interested in something, we have curiosity about something, we have excitement about something. I call it ICE, I-C-E. Interest, curiosity, excitement. We have interest in something or we're curious or we're excited, but we don't know why. We can't defend it with logic. It might even be outside a little bit of where we thought we were heading, but that's the crimson star because it's not the end in itself. It's the thing that pulls you forward. And it's not until you have the courage to step forward into the unknown towards it that you can see around the corner where you're next meant to go. And so you'll see this with, in business, sometimes people will create a huge invention based off of something that felt like it was off to the side, right? And yet it was that off to the side step that led to that perspective and that clarity of thought. So that's the Crimson Star. And it seems to be uh, very powerful for people. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love that idea, that sort of approach of, of trusting your gut over maybe your head or over your schedule. Like, I think yes. that's so, such an important thing to, to do. And it, I, I really appreciate that you've brought that out and are teaching that to people. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one of the other things I read recently, and this may be in the book, but also one of your social media posts. Um, and this is something I tell my teenage daughters all the time, like I'm explaining this to them, but you, you wrote down just because no one else is doing it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Like, I love that. So how did you, where did you get that? And how do you apply that? Oh, I love this question. Um, well, each of the just because statements in the book, and there's six, this is a little backstory first. Each of those just because stories or statements had a story that went with it. And I ended up cutting those from the book and we put some of them in our bonus materials that you'll see inside the book, but inside a, a link in the book. But the point is, the story that prompted the statement just because no one else is doing it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It was born out of experiences that I had. And here's the story, Brian, that goes with that statement. So when I first got out of college, I worked in Santa Fe, New Mexico at an outdoor center that did events for corporate groups and for youth at risk. So we did team building, outdoor education, you know, ropes, courses, climb over the wall, get over the stream, but you can only use three words or touch elbows or all these types of activities. One of the types of, of retreats that we did, though, was what's called a 17-day expedition or WEP, W-E-P, Wilderness Expedition Program. Mm -hmm. And we would take kids, the youth at risk, for 17 days in the wilderness. So we had taken a group of 17 uh, seven kids for these 17 days down to Big Bend National Park. And as we were packing for the trip, and I'd come from some outdoor experience, but I didn't have a degree in psychology and I didn't have a degree in social work, like an MSW. But my coworker, who was the head instructor, I was sort of the assistant, she had all that. And as we were packing our gear and our water and our ropes and all of our first aid, I said, what can I do? that will bring something fun for the kids. And I happened to have with me my favorite book at the time, which was Charlotte's Web, which is a children's book from E.B. White. And I said, I'm gonna bring Charlotte's Web and I'll read to the girls at night. And these are kids out of jail. These are kids out of treatment centers doing drugs. 
And my co-instructor looked at me and she says, what are you doing? They're not going <laughs> to want to listen to ch a children's book about a spider and a pig. <laughs> but I packed the bag, packed the book in my bag and uh, we went out into the desert. And the first night we got into camp, the kids set up their tents, we did our cooking. They were all complaining about blisters and sore feet. They'd never really hiked. And they all got into their sleeping bags. And I said, well, I'm going to read to you tonight. I have this book, it's called Charlotte's Web and I'm gonna read a chapter you, to you tonight. And so I read the first chapter of Charlotte's Web and they were sort of wide-eyed and quiet. And the next evening we got into camp and they said, are you gonna read to us from Charlotte's Web again? And I said, yes. So this went on for the next few days through the trip. And at the very end of this excursion, we all got in a circle and talked about our favorite moments from the trip. And pretty much everyone, maybe one or two extras, but pretty much everyone said their favorite moment was when I read to them from Charlotte's Web. And some said, no one's ever read to me before. Wow. And it was such a lesson in just because no one else was doing it, didn't mean it was a bad idea. It just meant no one else was doing it. And they didn't do it because they didn't have the background I have. I come from a literary background, a family of writers. I grew up creative writing. I was an English major at Stanford University. This is my world. So part of what I teach people in Risk Forward, in my keynotes, in Rock the Room, is how do you take your unexpressed gifts, these hidden gifts, whatever it is, and fuse it into your work? And that was, for me, the fusing of you know, creative writing and children's literature into social work and leadership expeditions. So I teach this in my workshops. I say, what's an outside passion of yours? And how do you weave it into your business communications to distinguish your brand, to connect with customers, clients, patients, those you serve? And we can all do it. We just don't because just because no one else is doing it, we think maybe it's a bad idea. But that statement basically says, no, maybe they just didn't think of it. And that's one of the things that makes it stand out all the more. Like those those kids, I wouldn't be surprised if they're out there, you know, reading Charlotte's Web to their kid, you know, like that sort of thing, like this sort of Victoria, oh, well, Miss Victoria read this to us. You know? <laughs> and they're and like all these kids, like the Charlotte's Web in Santa Fe is always sold out, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, I love that story. And I love how you use that sort of different outlook um, to, to help people. Um, kind of building on that, I know you were working with, you know, some at-risk kids at that time. And right now, kind of switching gears to where we are right now, like so many people are experiencing, like for the past 18 months or even before, so much change. They're so worn out. What are some of the unique ideas or ways that you've seen that people have taken a risk, maybe done something different, but that it's having a positive effect on people that are really worn out right now, whether from Zoom or work or anything else? Yeah, great question. Well, you know, I, I was talking to an event planner leader just about two weeks ago, and he was talking about this attrition, you know, loss of employees. There's a big issue with that right now. And people are burnt. Uh, they're reassessing their lives. They're reassessing their opportunities. Um, and so I said, part of what we need to do, because he wants to bring me into partner, is is to create the sense of belonging and the sense of a larger mission behind what the company does. Because people need to feel that what they do matters 
and they feel they must feel that it somehow aligns with their own personal belief system. Because if they don't, they think, what am I doing with my time? And so as a leader, as a manager, I think it's incumbent upon us to find ways to inspire the people around us by getting clear on their through line. You know, what is that that drives them forward? And then what is that organization's through line? And how do we bring the two in alignment? And it's not that hard to do, but when people see that larger purposefulness to their work, uh, it's transformative. And I love that idea. I mean, like right now, I mean, everyone knows it's not hidden that a lot of people are changing jobs, they're reassessing what they do. And I think what you've just said, like if those companies put that out there, like what their through line is, what they're made for, those people that have left other places are gonna find what that company does if that company makes it obvious. So I think that's so important what you're doing to help these companies, um, you know, get clarity on who they are so they can attract the people that fit into that. Yeah, exactly. And I think I call it in my work, I call it your noble intent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that in the book too. I talk about the nobility behind your work. And I ask that of all my clients. I say, what's the nobility behind your work? No one has ever had a challenge answering that question. It comes right out. Because if you're in technology, is it really about the widgets and the wires or is it about connecting humanity, mm-hmm. right? If you're in, you know, nutrition and weight loss is it really about nutrition and losing pounds or is it about helping people live their best lives and perform at their best and when you lead from that place of what i call the through line your noble intent uh people want to work there they feel as i said earlier that they're part of something much bigger than themselves how do you get people to take more action and ownership uh, well, one of the strategies that I share, I referenced it a little bit earlier, is, is to, to trust that idea that can lead to that idea. So, you know, a lot of people are afraid to make a mistake. That's partly the culture. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a couple strategies. One is that, you know, I say, when you're in a meeting, uh, speak up. And you can simply say, look, this might not be a good idea, uh, but it could be the idea that leads to the idea. Mm-hmm. That's a core phrase of mine. It could be the idea that leads to the idea. And when you say that, you completely erase any potential judgment because people are already prepaved to understand this might not be a good idea. But then on top of that, it starts having them inspired in their own head thinking, what, what idea do I have from what this person just said? And all of a sudden there's this flourishing of ideas and creativity. So that's one, it's just taking a risk. In terms of ownership, I think it's really giving people that agency mm-hmm. um, to make mistakes because we all want success, but it's really how do we create a culture where making mistakes is okay and celebrate those and and not hide them, not have people hide them. Well, one last, we're almost out of time here. So I've got one more question for you. Hopefully this is, this fits up into ending on a high point, like you were saying that we need to do. So uh, something a lot of people may not know about you is, um, and I cleared this with your friends. I said, is this okay to ask Victoria? I said, yes. Okay. So your, uh, your husband of, I think 10 years now is, uh, Frank Oz, most famous, uh, you know, pretty famous for a lot of things, but you know, uh, Yoda, Miss Piggy, some other things. So the question is, does he ever use those voices on you? And if so, like, what's your reaction to it? (laughs) Uh, I am married to Frank Oz and no, he, he doesn't because he often gets asked to quote, do the voice. And he doesn't because of a few reasons. As he goes, I'm not a cheap lay, That's a joke. <laughs> but he says, um, they're too precious to him. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not like party favors that he brings out to display. Sure. He, he, they're sacred to him. So he does not quote, do the voice, but there's another reason too. And that's that ultimately people think the voice is the whole creation, but he's not just the voice of, he is the performer of. Mm-hmm. So it's not a voiceover like an animation. Right. You know, it's when you're puppeteering, whether it's Yoda, he's underneath that physical puppet, manipulating the arms, the eyes, right? With other people who do other parts of that face, the eyebrow, the ears, with Piggy or Grover or Bert or Cookie Monster, which are also his characters that he's done, he has to inhabit those. And on that note, it's something I teach people in my own work. Like the words alone are not it. It's the whole expression of your being that people are picking up. And that's what matters most. The physicality, the tone, the expression, the examples you use, it's all one big package. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much for sharing this, um, for, for sharing this message and these ideas and ways that people can improve, especially in a time like we're in now. Uh, so thank you for being a guest here on the Beyond Speaking podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's go out there, risk forward and rock the room. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then definitely people out listening, watching, uh, check out um, Risk Forward. Also, Charlotte's Web. We can get both in. We get to plug in for both. I love It's a great book. I have, I have four kids and they love it. And then also make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And thank you again for listening and watching here on the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.